Welcome to the Equipping You in Grace podcast. We are so excited that you are joining us for the show today. This podcast aims to explore a biblical life view in a conversational tone. Let's join our host and founder of Servants of Grace, Dave Jenkins, for today's episode. Thanks so much for listening. This episode of Equipping You in Grace is sponsored by The Good Book Company, publishers of the book your pastor wishes you'd read, a book by Christopher Ash on caring for your pastor and the difference it makes. More information at thegoodbook.com. Welcome back to the Equipping You in Grace podcast. My name is Dave and I'm the host for this podcast. And with me today is Dr. Barrett. Dr. Barrett, welcome back to the Equipping You in Grace podcast. Thank you for having me back. It's always great to chat with you, brother. Uh, I appreciate all the work that you do and it's... uh, uh, very, uh, very needed and very much appreciated. Well, thank you. Very encouraging. Uh, well, can you catch us up on what's going on in your life, uh, marriage, ministry, and your current ministry projects? Sure. Uh, you know, I've, I, I teach at Midwestern Seminary uh, in Kansas City, and we are, uh, it's an exciting time there. Uh, I teach systematic theology, and uh, right now I am finishing up the semester, though just about to begin a sabbatical. And so this next year I will be spending a lot of time writing rather than teaching. I have several projects that are that just came out and several projects that are going to be coming out in the years ahead. Uh, the, the two projects that just came out, uh, a book with Baker called None Greater, The Undomesticated Attributes of God that we'll, we'll be talking about. I've also written, uh, uh, edited a, a large book with Crossway called The Doctrine on Which the Church Stands or Falls, a Justification in Biblical, Theological, Historical, Pastoral Perspective. And that's a, a large volume uh, with some of the best scholars in their disciplines uh, discussing justification and its importance for today. I have another book coming out uh, at the beginning of next year called Canon, Covenant, and Christology, Rethinking Jesus and the Scripture. Of Israel. This is with IBP in, in uh, the series that D.A. Carson edits, the New Studies and Biblical Theology series. And that is a book I'm also excited about because I'm trying to help Christians and evangelicals uh, come at the Gospels in particular and understand how Jesus views the Old Testament scriptures uh, as an inspired unitary whole, uh, and to do that not so much through the typical Pauline lens, but rather through Jesus' own categories of promise and fulfillment and typology. Uh, and then uh, in this next year, I'll be working on a number of projects. Uh, I'll be writing uh, a, another book, a follow-up book to None Greater, on the doctrine of the Trinity, and that too will be geared for beginning students, pastors, and churchgoers, and I'm hoping uh, that book can add a lot of clarity. I think there's a lot of confusion right now over what to believe about the Trinity, and I think uh, a lot of Christians are just unfamiliar with the doctrine. And then uh, I'll be writing two two more academic books. Uh, one is a textbook for Zonervan on the Reformation. It'll be a history and theology of the Reformation. And then uh, uh, another book is for Baker Academic uh, called The Mystery of Inspiration and Doctrine of God. And there I am trying to help us as, as Christians, as evangelicals, understand that that uh, uh, our doctrine of Scripture is actually rooted in our doctrine of God. So I can mm. go on, but those are some of the, the main projects. Wow, that uh, those sound really interesting. Um, I want to read them now. <laughs> <laughs> but like everybody else, I'll be patient, so... 
because you do actually have to write it. But. That's right. <laughs> <laughs> oh, man. That sounds good. Those sound great. Well, can you uh, tell us about your book, None Greater, The Undomesticated Attributes of God, why you wrote it, and how it's being received? Yes. Uh, this, this book is meant to help pastors, Christians, uh, students. It's meant to introduce them to the doctrine of God, but to attributes that they may never have heard about before. And uh, as much as there's been a resurgence of good uh, evangelical, even Reformed theology in recent years, surprisingly, we have not uh, we have not introduced our churches and schools to uh, the classical attributes of God. And so many, many Christians are just completely unfamiliar with attributes like God's impassibility, God's aseity, his simplicity, uh, and so on. In this book, though, I make a specific argument. I argue that uh, God is the uh, perfect being. And of course, here, some may know I'm I'm, uh, borrowing from Anselm, who who says uh, God is someone than whom none greater can be conceived. And I argue from that basic premise that if God is uh, this someone than whom none greater can be conceived, then there must be perfect making attributes that are true of him. And first up on that list may be one like God's infinite nature, uh, that he is not a finite creature, but he's the infinite infinite, incomprehensible and eternal God and creator. And if that's true, then anything that would somehow limit God uh, must be precluded from the start. Uh, And uh, what would that be? Well, things like change. That would certainly limit God uh, as if he changed or uh, parts, as if God were divisible or made up of parts, or, or say, emotional fluctuation, or being bound by space or time, or, or having a limited uh, knowledge or power or wisdom, and so on. All these things would limit God. And so I argue that uh, the exact opposite, that, uh, well, if God's going to be the perfect, infinite being, then uh, he, he's not characterized by those limitations. Instead, he is the God who is uh, infinite, uh, a, a God who is independent, a God of aseity, a God of simplicity, immutability, passability, a God of timeless eternity, on and on and on. This picture of God that I just described is very, very different, though, than the way most Christians have been taught to think of God. Usually, they begin with their human experience, and they just assume that, we, we just assume that, well, whatever is true of our human experience, that must just be true of God in a bigger, better sense. So, if, if I have love, well, uh, I suppose God just is love, but just to a greater degree, or, uh, or but the problem is this can uh, work the other way too. So that uh, well, if I grieve or suffer or have lost, then God too uh, grieves, suffers, or or loses, and and that can have some very negative consequences. Uh, on a popular level, I like to, to call this the uh, the superhero syndrome. God's just a bigger, better version of yourself. And theological theological vocabulary, though, this has been called monopolytheism or theistic personalism, and uh, it, uh, it is uh, unfortunately pervasive in the church today. Yeah, that's for sure. Um, as you worked on this book, what was the most challenging attribute of God for you to write on? Well, each of them are challenging in their own way. Uh, I, I argue at the beginning that God is a God of simplicity. His, his essence isn't one thing and his attributes are another thing. He is his attributes. 
constitutes an infinite measure. Um, and so if that's the case, then whenever we're talking about one attribute, uh, we can't help but also talk about the other. They're all very much interconnected. Um, but nonetheless, I, I think maybe the, the hardest one to write on may have been God's impassibility. Part of the reason for that is because this attribute is so counterintuitive to Christians today, and it forces us to rethink how we read the Bible and the assumptions we bring to the text. But it also is difficult because, like I do in the book, I affirm God's impassibility and believe that it is essential to who he is and how Scripture describes him as the immutable, eternal God. Uh, but the, the challenge then becomes, okay, how do we how do we make sense of something like the cross? And uh, there in the book, I engage uh, individuals like uh, a year gone Moldwell, who argues that in light of the cross, God cannot be impassable. And uh, that I, I answer that challenge. I respond by showing, uh, well, we have to do, we have to be careful in how we think of Christology and not to confuse the two natures of Christ or, or allow the human to swallow up the divine. So that was a challenging chapter to write because there was so much to say and it was so, uh, it was so complex. And yet I found by the end of that chapter, uh, I found it to be one of the most important chapters in the book, maybe the hinge on which for, for a lot of people reading the book, it, it's sort of the hinge on which everything turns uh, as they're thinking through, you know, am I am I going to uh, am I going to uh, affirm uh, a classical understanding of God? Hmm, wow. Um, and and guys, you can also listen to uh, Dr. Barrett's podcast where he delves into that more on impassibility. So I would encourage you to do that. Uh, what? Go ahead. Yeah, no, the, the podcast, uh, I, I really enjoyed the podcast. There, there's a couple episodes uh, listeners might be interested in. I, I did a podcast on impassibility with Thomas Wynandy. It's called Does God Suffer? Because this really is at the heart of impassibility, uh, whether God suffers or not. Um, I've also done a number of others. Uh, I have two I did recently uh, on my book where I walk readers through uh, each of the chapters. Uh, there's a two-part series there. And then also a while back, one of the first ones, was a podcast with James Dolezal on simplicity. So, uh, yeah, listeners may enjoy those. Yes. In addition to your book, of course. <laughs> yes, right. <laughs> what is the most neglected attribute of God that needs more study and books written on by Christians? Well, I would say God's aseity. I think that many Christians today assume that God needs them, that God needs the world, in fact. They assume that, uh, well, before God created the world, he was lonely, and now that he's created us, we fill some void, uh, lack of happiness or fulfillment within God. That a uh, popular understanding of God is so contrary to the biblical witness, uh, which uh, again and again distinguishes the God of Israel from the pagan gods of the nations surrounding Israel by this attribute of Isaiah. So you think of Isaiah, for example, who in uh, God through Isaiah, who is mocking, it's a bit of a, a satire, mocking very sarcastically the way that uh, those who worship idols uh, have created something with their own hands. And yet the irony is they are bowing down to it as if, as if it's it, uh, their, their Savior and Redeemer and, and Lord. 
this is a god these are gods that you can see and touch gods who have eyes and ears and a mouth but ironically they they cannot uh they cannot speak to you they cannot hear you they, they do not uh know you uh, and uh, these are gods who very much depend on you because uh, they're made in your image. Well, Scripture gives us a very different picture of God from the beginning of the Bible. We open it and we see, you know, God's not dependent on the creation. The creation is dependent on God. We're, uh, we don't make God in our image. We're, uh, we are those who have been created in his image. So that being the case, you, you begin to see God's aseity. This attribute refers to the fact, well, we can put it negative that God is not dependent on us, that he is independent, that he is not only self-existent, he, he had no, no one created him, he is eternal, but that he is uh, self-sufficient. Uh, he is perfectly uh, happy in and of himself in eternity apart from creation as the triune God, Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. We can also put it attribute positively and say uh, God is life in and of himself. He is life in and of himself which is only true of him. And on that basis, he then uh, can give us life, uh, even eternal life. Uh, Paul, in, the, in Acts 17, uh, he goes right to the attribute of, of the satiety in his evangelistic encounters. He is uh, count, he, he is engaging these the, some of the, the great philosophers of his day. They are intrigued by what he said, but they, it's also strange to him. Paul wants to take them to the gospel of Jesus Christ, to the, to the coming judgment. But in order to do that, he first begins by explaining how this unknown God is uh, one who's not like their gods. Uh, he's a God who doesn't live in temples. He's not served by human hands. Uh, he is a God of a society. Uh, he is a God who is life in himself, self-existent, self-sufficient. And therefore, uh, they are accountable to him as the creature. And, and from there, Paul moves directly to, uh, to the gospel itself. So a lot of times today, uh, Christians don't realize it, but uh, an attribute like a society is is absolutely crucial to a proper understanding of the gospel in the Christian life. Uh, Christians today need to understand and pastors need to preach that uh, the gospel depends on a God who does not depend on you. If you reverse that, you are tempting idolatry itself. Mm, that's really well said. What is the most neglected attribute of God that needs more study in books written on by Christians? Well, I would say in terms of, of writing, I, I, I think that one attribute Christians have not written on, even theologians have not written on a whole lot, is the connection between God's holiness and love. Uh, in, in my book, None Greater, uh, I thought about treating these diff as two separate chapters, one on God's holiness, one on God's love. But the more and more I thought about it, I realized uh, these, these two attributes are so often set over against one another. And we see this with how people treat the cross. Uh, they will look at the cross as merely an example of God's love and assume that this could have nothing to do, uh, if, if this is about God's love, this could have nothing to do with God's righteousness, his holiness, his wrath. And uh, well, that's very contrary to, say, how Paul approaches the cross in Romans Three, where uh, he stresses that uh, Jesus only comes because of the Father's love for him and for us. And yet, at the cross, we see uh, 
his mercy and his justice kiss one another. So that at the cross, he goes to the cross out of love, but he does so to satisfy the, the very uh, judgment, the very punishment that we deserve for for our sin against this holy God, and in doing so fulfills the righteousness of God, a righteousness that Christ, uh, his own righteousness that is imputed to us. So uh, rather than thinking of attributes over against one another, we, if we believe that, that in simplicity, well, this isn't just God's love, this is, this is his holy love, his righteous love, his just love. And likewise, we can say the same about many other attributes. But all that to say, I think whether it's God's holiness and love, I think uh, many Christian writers and theologians need to think about how God's attributes relate to one another. Yeah, and I love how you uh, how you do that in the in, on on the podcast and uh, helping. You've talked about this a lot about seeing the connections and how you even try to encourage your students and their papers to do that. I think that that is uh, really really important mm. um, for probably related to this next question. Um, you can maybe flesh that out a little more. Um, how do the attributes of God help Christians develop a biblical worldview? Well, like I said with Acts 17, uh, we see this with the biblical authors themselves. Uh, they uh, sometimes assume this this doctrine of God in their evangelistic encounters, even their apologetic conversations. Uh, at other times, they address it explicitly, like I mentioned, like I mentioned with Isaiah. All that to say, uh, the doctrine of God is crucial to a biblical worldview. In fact, it's foremost. Sometimes we're so eager to get to other aspects of the Christian faith. Maybe it's salvation. Maybe it's just uh, apologetics itself that we don't spend time first establishing who God is according to how he has revealed himself to us in the scriptures. That seems maybe like an obvious step, but often one that's neglected uh, for perhaps a variety of reasons. And as a result, we sometimes operate with a faulty doctrine of God, one that actually has more similarities with other religions uh, or, or even ancient views of the gods than it does with the Christian God of the Bible. So I would say it's essential to a Christian worldview. And if you do, if you do not presuppose uh, a biblical doctrine of God, one that is is whole and complete, uh, that that includes many of these these classical attributes. Uh, that I'm that I'm referring to here, from God's uh, eternity to His aseity to His simplicity, immutability, His impassibility, and so on. You will at some point you will find yourself either misrepresenting God, which is a has you know serious serious consequences, or you will you will struggle to uh, set the Christian God over against the gods uh, of of uh, other religions, other worldviews, other uh, even naturalistic philosophies, uh, be- because you, you don't have a God who actually can answer some of their most difficult challenges, whether it concerns the problem of evil, whether it concerns whether uh, a divine being exists, so on and so on. Yeah, that's really good. How do the attributes of God help Christians face trials and grow in the grace of God? Yeah, sometimes Christians and pastors uh, assume 
that well the doctrine of god that's some abstract uh thing that that really philosophers and theologians focus on but it's really unrelated irrelevant to real christian ministry the christian life or even the gospel itself that that is so so not true and scripture never creates a dichotomy uh, or a divorce between doctrine and doxology like that uh sometimes this also leads to i mean when when we then experience trials tribulations suffering uh moments of despair moments of agony uh, which no doubt so many do and and if if you have it you will well whether we realize it or not our doctrine of god is going to come into play in that moment and many times uh christians they may be well-meaning but often they are prescribing uh to other christians in in the midst of suffering a very uh a a very faulty doctrine of god that that can do more harm than good Uh, just to give uh one example of this uh, you take God's immutability, the fact that God does not change, but is eternally the same, uh, not just in his actions and his will, but his very essence. Uh, That attribute is so essential in times of trial, of difficulty, temptation, sin, uh, suffering, because in those moments, that is when we are struggling to trust God. It's when doubt is pressing in and we are tempted to uh throw in the towel and give up on christian faith altogether uh it's also uh, a difficult time because we are uh, suffering in the midst of a world that is in fluctuation and it seems in those moments it, it seems as if someone is you know taking the rug right from under our feet and we have no foundation on which to stand and we don't know uh up from down we don't know right from wrong it's everything everything is confused and uh in question well listen it's in those those very moments whether it's you personally or your church as a whole uh it's in those moments that uh, and actually like god's immutability is so important because in the midst of fluctuation and change, uncertainty and doubt, uh, we go to, as David says, and as David did, we run to God who is our rock, our fortress. And in him, we we have certainty that his, his promises to us will not fail because he himself does not change. And so God's unchanging nature becomes the very foundation then of our assurance, of our perseverance, and of our preservation unto glorification itself. Very well said. How has studying the work of um, Augustine, Anselm, and Aquinas, which you call the A-team, helped you grow in your understanding of the attributes of God? And further, how can studying these men's work help listeners to grow in their understanding of God? Yes, I say at the very beginning of the book, that uh, early on in my my Christian journey, I was surprised by God, uh, and and I've I've already hinted at that already. Uh, I, I wasn't used to thinking of God in terms of one uh, in terms of these attributes, rather merely as one who's just a bigger, better version of of whatever we make of Him. Um, and I it was actually through very accidentally uh, starting to read someone like. Augustine and his confessions, and then uh, a, a medieval medieval thinkers like uh, Anselm and Aquinas. These are some of the the greatest minds uh, that the church has. 
uh, and uh, some of the greatest thinkers that uh, were not only biblical exegetes, but also profound theologians. Most Christians are not aware of them. Uh, when I stumbled across someone like, say, an Augustine, whose confessions are, many, much of his confessions are prayers, uh, but he is giving us in those prayers rich theology and telling us who God is. And so in the midst of these prayers, Augustine paints a very different picture of God, one that is more consistent with, say, Isaiah 6, the God who's high and lifted up. And I started to, to realize that uh, God isn't just a, a greater in size, he is he is a different type of being altogether. Together, he's not he's not uh, the finite creature, but the infinite creator. And uh, we we can't just think of him as as greater than us, but but rather uh, as uh, immeasurable in his very essence. And that being the case, uh, I also realized that well, not only uh, not only had I not thought of God in, in these types of categories, but uh, I also had not been introduced to some of these, uh, some of the, 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 the greatest thinkers of the past, uh, whether it's an Augustine or a Thomas Aquinas or a John Calvin, uh, or you could think of, say, a, a Puritan like Stephen Charnock and, and so many others. And that that took me on a journey in which uh, I, I don't think I've ever returned from, what <laughs> uh, one in which uh, these individuals became friends, and uh, they sat on my shoulder uh, and helped me to uh, understand the Bible better. Uh, you mentioned the A-team. Um, I'm not the first one to call them that, of course, but uh, Augustine, Anselm, and Aquinas. Uh, I love to call them the A-team. They are a, a uh, the, the th- three individuals, though there's many others, of course, but they are three individuals that I always recommend Christians start with. Um, they will find them to be uh, just uh, full of insight and not just theological insight, but they will also find these individuals to be uh, to, to move them to devotion and worship of this God. It's mm, awesome. Praise God. Outside of your book, what other books would you recommend Christians read on the doctrine of God? Yes, well, of course, the three I just mentioned, Augustine, Anselm, and Thomas Aquinas. You can actually uh, find many of these works in very accessible forms. Augustine, uh, I would say Christians should read his Confessions as a classic. Even apart from the doctrine of God, I think that uh, you'll find your heart warmed as Augustine takes you into his own Christian conversion experience and uh, the sovereignty of grace that he he uh, he knew firsthand. I would also say, uh, you know, you could read uh, if you if you just go on to Amazon, you'll find the uh, the writings of uh, Anselm, the, the works of Anselm, the shorter works of Anselm. I think Oxford has a, sh- a little paperback and uh, read his. Uh, he not only writes on Jesus and the cross and the incarnation, why God became man. But he also has, they're very short, actually. His proslogion and his monologion are uh, short books, Very uh, some of them very short, that, that uh, take you into the deep things of God and help you to think very carefully about, well, if God is this infinite, incomprehensible being, well, what, what attributes must follow then? Um, and he's very helpful. Another uh, figure, if you're feeling... Uh, you feeling brave after reading Augustine, I suppose you could also read Thomas Aquinas. Uh, I think it's Cambridge. They published us um, uh, maybe a 200-page 
a paperback called Questions on God, and they have. Uh, this is a selection from uh, Thomas's massive Summa, uh, but they've taken the the questions he answers on the attributes of God, and they've given to them to you in this paperback. Very, very, uh, just very insightful into the biblical picture of God. Uh, I I think a lot of Christians may be intimidated by Thomas Aquinas, but you'll find yourself uh, actually addicted to him uh, as he uh, will pose some of the most difficult questions about God and then in just a couple of pages answer them, <laughs> uh, which is very, very tough to do. Uh, others, others I would recommend, of course, uh, a, a larger book is uh, Stephen Charnock's, uh, I think it's two volumes now, published by Banner of Truth, is two volumes on the existence and attributes of God. Uh, here is a Puritan who turns over every rock, but he does so, yes, very exhaustively, but he does so in a way that leads you to understand how the doctrine of God connects to the Christian life and uh, I found myself reading and rereading him and just having to stop and pray and uh, just convicted at points uh, of my own sin, my own need for God, for the gospel, for God's grace, all because he's introducing you to the very character of God. Uh, another, I'll mention one other, uh, and that is... And by the way, I, I interact with all these individuals in the book. So um, if you read the book, you'll, you'll find yourself overwhelmed with some of their quotations and you know, wanting to read more. But a, a last figure would be Herman Bobbink, the Dutch Reformed uh, colossal theologian. His, he, he wrote uh, several volumes called Reformed Dogmatics. I believe Banner of Truth has put out a just a uh, they've taken his section on the doctrine of God and they've made it a book in and of itself. I think it's just called the Doctrine of God. This is one of the best books uh, written on on the doctrine of God. Hmm. And uh, Bavink, you mentioned worldview earlier. Bavink is uh, building on all those individuals I've mentioned already, what we might call the classical tradition, but he's also doing so engaging other worldviews. And uh, Bavink is the master of this. Uh, he can talk about what the scripture says about the attributes of God and quickly then turn to counter uh different philosophies and worldviews out there that pose a challenge to the Christian faith. I could go on, but those would be, those books and thinkers would be uh, some of the best to start with. Yeah, I, I would just add two to that outstanding list, uh, J.A. Packer's Knowing God and R.C. Sproul's work on holiness. Mm-hmm. So. Yes, two, two very good books. How important is it for Christians to have a robust biblical and theologically informed understanding of the doctrine of God for their life and ministry? Yes, well, it's, I mean, the short answer is it's very important. It's, it's extremely important. Uh, I, I, I think that, you know, you take an attribute like God's simplicity. Uh, this is an attribute that is forgotten today, neglected today. Uh, and yet I think Christians will find that the, the very understanding of God, his existence, their very assurance uh, in, in God's character in the midst of the Christian life and ministry is uh, grounded on God's simplicity. Uh, you know what? If God is not one, if He uh, is not identical with His attributes and His attributes with one another, if if God is instead made up of parts, uh, composed of parts, a, a compositional being, uh, really we have no assurance that God will not literally fall apart on us. And 
uh, we have no assurance that he will uh, not self-destruct. Uh, if he is made up of parts, these parts change. He's dependent on these parts, and they uh, they have the potential then of being corrupted, being uh, corruptible, and uh, also being destructible. Uh, when we look at ourselves, that's very much true of ourselves. We're finite creatures. We're, we're very much compositional beings. And as a result, uh, we, we do uh, often, uh, whether it's emotionally or physically or spiritually, we, we often uh, fall apart in so many different ways. Uh, but not God. Not God. He is, as Deuteronomy 6.4 is, he is the God who is one. Well, that, that has huge implications then for uh, not just the Christian life, but for pastoral ministry. Uh, because let's face it, pastoral ministry can be extremely, extremely testing. And oftentimes it's, it can be a trial in which uh, many pastors are struggling to, to persevere. They're unsure whether their church is going to make it to the next month let alone the next year. Uh, I would say attributes like simplicity are uh, a, a medicine uh, in the midst of Christian life and ministry because they give us a reassurance and confidence that uh, unlike us, um, this God is dependable because he is simple. And we then can have the assurance to press on uh, in the Christian life and in ministry knowing that uh, you know everything may be falling apart around us, but this God, he, he will not. Uh, he is the same yesterday, today, and forever. Yeah, that's really good. Really good. Well, Dr. Barrett, as we wrap up this conversation, we've covered a lot of ground. Thank you for that. Um, as listeners, uh, as we wrap up this podcast and listeners go ahead and pick up this book, can you give them a few takeaways, please? Yes, I would say as you are as you are listening to this and, and you, if you go and pick up the book, None Greater, I would encourage encourage listeners to read it with a pencil or a pen in hand uh, and uh, you know write all over it because uh, these attributes are ones that will change your life. Uh, this isn't this isn't just you know some uh, you know these, this is not you know an ivory tower discussion where you know this is uh, interesting uh, dialogue to have. But no, th- this is this is God Himself we're talking about. He He is the most important thing in in our existence. As Tozer said, He the, the first thing that comes into your mind is the most important. The first thing that comes into your mind when you think about God is the most important thing about you. And so I would just encourage listeners to, uh, with pen and pencil in hand, come to the book, uh, be, be prepared to dive into the deep things of God, and yet also be prepared to hit your knees in prayer. Uh, that is really the only appropriate response. That was the response of Moses. It was the response of Isaiah. It was the response of Jesus' disciples uh, after he walks on water. Uh, this should be our response today. So uh, the book is written in a very accessible way. So uh, for, for some out there, they may be thinking, oh my goodness, a book on the doctrine of God that sounds that sounds way over my head. Uh, don't fear. I, I, I introduce these attributes in a way that you will understand, in a way that will capture your imagination. Uh, and at the same time, uh, I hope that uh, the book will lead you to greater devotion and worship of, of this great God. We, uh, we know from scripture uh, and ultimately uh, give you a passion to share who God is uh, with others after like me being very very surprised by this God 
so that's that's my hope and prayer. And uh, I would just uh, encourage Christians not to neglect the doctrine of God, but to make it central to to uh, their understanding of the Bible and to their Christian ministry. Yes. Well, I I really love the book. I. I think that it's very helpful. It's instructive. It's not, as you said, written from the ivory tower. Um, it's written for the person in the pew um, to help them to understand this subject. And you've done that um, and with excellence as always. And I really appreciate it. And guys, also, I just want to encourage you to check out Credo. Um, they have a great magazine that they put out quarterly. And uh, Dr. Barrett, as we've talked about, also Hosts the Credo podcast, which is great. Um, I encourage you to listen to it. I, I listened to it as well and enjoy the magazine. And um, in addition to his, his your books, Dr. Barry, I, I greatly appreciate your ministry and but just commend it to our listeners. Well, thank you so much. It's uh, yes. Uh, please go go read uh, Credo and and listen to the podcast. I appreciate all all of you and, and the way that it's encouraging your ministries. And uh, as always, thank you for having me on. Yes, sir. I would like to thank The Good Book for sponsoring today's episode. Don't forget to visit them at thegoodbook.com for their latest pieces on books like The Book Your Pastor Wishes You'd Read by Christopher Ash, and other great content that will help you grow in the grace of God. Thank you so much for listening. We hope that you were encouraged by today's episode. Don't forget to subscribe and leave us a review wherever you get your podcast. For more uplifting and thought-provoking content, please visit us online at servantsofgrace.org. You can also follow us on Twitter and Instagram at Servants of Grace and on Facebook at facebook.com slash servantsofgrace. We hope you have a blessed day and we will see you next time.